Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club, it's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. So welcome, everyone. Welcome to our monthly mastermind call with Mr. George Ross. George, as you know, of course, worked for Mr. Trump for much of the past 40 years in business for over 60 years, author of two best-selling books, taught at the law school at NYU for over 20 years, an expert in negotiation in business over 60 years. We're delighted to have you with us, George. And as always, make sure you take copious notes. Uh, Let's jump right in. Okay, great. So George, the first question is one specifically on a project that I'm dealing with. This is a 260-unit new apartment complex in Houston. It has a HUD-approved construction loan that's due to expire in 30 days. You know, these loans are put in place. They're, they're only valid for a certain amount of time. And the project was delayed due to Hurricane Harvey. And now more recently, the funding source who had committed the cash to the, the cash contribution didn't deliver. The land partner who's been involved in the project since its inception is likely to pull the land out of the project if it doesn't fund by the end of April. And that would mean that the developer who put all of this together and spent about a million two in soft costs would lose all of that. And so he brought me into the project to try and help, you know, see if we could rescue this situation. Dave Zook, who you met in Dallas a few weeks ago, Dave and I raised the capital to rescue the project. And then as we were about to rate lock with HUD, the interest rate went up and the way that the loan was structured, it actually reduced the loan amount because it became debt coverage limited as opposed to you know, affecting, you know, simply affecting the cash flow. And so it's kind of left us with a a few options. Number one is to sell the project to another developer who might want to take it over. Number two, try and raise the capital for the land and then, you know, recapitalize it and do the project at a later time ourselves with a different financing structure. Or number three, walk away and accept that my partner is going to lose about a million two that he's put into the project. What are your thoughts? trying to do anything on a very short timeline is always very difficult. Well, what makes you think that the land partner is likely to pull the project by April 30th? What's so critical about April 30th? I think he was he's losing confidence that this will ever get done. He's held on to this Well, land. that's it, but that's not so then it's not critical. But why why April 30th? What happens if it's if it's not April 30th, but it's May 15th? Fair question. Fair question. So you're saying negotiate with with the land partner? The land partner. The land partner, I think if you spoke to the land partner and basically tell them what happened, the, 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 the basic, and then you're, you're, you're arranging to cover, to cover the deficit, mm-hmm. two things, either you have to give additional collateral to HUD, in which case you'll increase the loan to the value, uh, the, the loan to value ratio, mm-hmm. or at that point you have to have to put up some more money. But meanwhile, time-wise, it's, it's all good. I mean, certainly you're, you're telling him, uh, Effectively, the happened in Houston. It's an act of God, and what have you. I think I don't think you have a problem. That's a very fair point. That's a very yeah, I mean, fair. I point. don't think he's going to pull it, but certainly, if he did at that point, you got plenty of notice, and the, you could stop it and claim act of God. There are so many things you can do that uh, are, what you're suggesting basically is premature. The date is not. Uh, I, I don't see that from what it's saying. The date is critical, except you're saying he's losing confidence in the transaction, whether it's going to happen. But that. Confidence, you could because of what happened in Houston, that that caused basically the delay and it created created the problems. But it looks to me like the thing will be solved over a period of time. That's actually a very fair point, completely fair point. I mean, what you're saying is, you know, there's well, a big I, distance between losing a million two and and you know maybe even taking a portion of that million two and giving it to the landowner. You still walk away with a much better scenario. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But I think you can negotiate with the landowner. At this, based on everything that happened, to me that that looks like a no-brainer. It's relatively simple because how can he say it didn't happen? And that's created code of creating the delays. And I think you can that you can certainly buy some more time from him enough to to uh, to cover your problem. I think I think you're you're looking at it the right way, and we we weren't. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, I certainly wouldn't walk away from the project. That doesn't make any sense. And raise the capital to buy the land. The, uh, buy the land. That's you can do when you see what happens. Like boil down the pike. The landowner hasn't taken any affirmative action to create a, a to create any kind of a crisis. So effectively, you know, I think you're premature in figure in, in facing problems which yet do not exist or, or probably won't exist. 
I think you speak to the landowner and you tell them everything goes on and they'll buy it. You need tell them you just need more time, which is really what you do. That's that's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. And so, you know, there, there's a whole spectrum of possibilities, including we could say to the landowner, okay, give us 90 days to raise the capital to buy you out. And then we'll recapitalize the project, maybe with a conventional loan or maybe even with a new HUD application. Yeah, but he may, uh, he probably, I don't know if he wants to get bought out, does he? Well, I think he does. He's he's at an age right now where he's not necessarily looking to, you know, do another project. Okay. He'd be just as happy to to just sit on the cash. Okay. Then, that, then that's, that's the way. Get, go, go, go the 90-day route. To go the 90-day route, get the 90-day delays. You got plenty of time. If it, if it doesn't work out within the 90 days, you will ask for more time, and maybe give them maybe give them some cash to hold them quiet for a while. You got all kinds of possibilities. Delay. I don't see any major problem at this particular time. Let's say that's that's critical. They're on the horizon, but it's not critical now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now, obviously, I mean, from from our standpoint, we definitely see a sense of urgency. I mean, the thing that one of the things that triggered the problem is we had a quarter point rate increase, which unfortunately, the way the loan was structured, it ended up reducing the loan amount. And normally, a quarter point increase quarter point increase shouldn't break a project, but in unfortunately, in this case, it, it almost uh-huh. appears but to the have quarter point increase was raised by HUD. It was yeah, well, it was tied to the the quarter point Fe- Federal Reserve rate increase, uh-huh. so it okay. was indexed to that. Okay. And of course, the Fed has announced another two to three rate hikes this year, so we don't want to wait too long. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, you can live with that. No, oh, that's great. Very good. Okay. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George, just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club, it's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. Okay, next question is from Dave Zook. Dave, I will unmute you. Yeah, George. Yeah, Dave. It was great, it was great seeing you in Dallas. I thoroughly enjoyed you down there, and, and I hope you had as much fun as we did. I did. did. I did. I had, a lot of, I had a good time. Good. So, hey, question for you. A lot of the business that, that I do, I do it with partners. Mm-hmm. And so I have a self-storage team really good partners. I got a multifamily team. I've got an ATM team. And so a lot of the success in any one of those asset classes has to do with how well my my partners perform. Mm-hmm. So I was curious to see what were some of the things that you did or, or the Trump team did to vet a, say, a joint venture partner or somebody that they were getting into a deal with? Like, you know, what should did somebody do to really vet those partners in your experience? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, as far as the Trump team is, he didn't do money joint ventures. He did the whole thing or nothing or, or uh, franchi- franchised it out where they did everything and he was uh, tangentially involved. Not really true partnership arrangements. But as far as my partnership or other partnership, the, the, the main thing is, is what do these partners bring to the table? Each one looks different. You know, we talk to somebody on a, on a new multi-development, multi-family development as against some any self-storage, uh, the two different, one is a business and the other one is a is a total operation, you know, residential building. So you, you, the partner, whoever you are, whoever you do partnership, has to add something to the partnership. What basic thing are they going to add? Maybe they're going to add cash, maybe they're going to add expertise. You got to basically get the partner that's going to help fill you in the particular gap. You got too many different businesses and you have to be pick out partners that go match to help you help you in those particular businesses. You're saying now the luxury vacation property development is entirely different than multifamily development ordinarily. So but there are you get a partner that's in there, that's done it, that's got some experience or even that or has the contact to get the to get those things done. So it's really, you know, being careful as to which partner you pick for which development. You can't one size doesn't fit all. And in my case, almost all of them are the operators. Like they're, they're they're the operator. They're bringing the deal to the table. They're they're the ones that are making the making it work. And then we come alongside and and partner with them and fund well, the deal. So then, then, then if you got somebody doing that, what do you what what's your concern? I well for one, I'm bringing investor capital into the deal. Yeah. And so I'm sort of leveraging my relationship or my I, I'm relationship 
I, I'm leveraging my relationship with the investors, bringing their cash to the table, and hooking up with these operators. Okay. Now, basically, because the main case, what happens? How they had what's 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 the agreement they do to get rid of the operator in the event they don't perform? Well, we do have some of that in place. We, you know, like in the case of my multifamily team, I can fire them, and at that Good. point, I would I would have to buy them out. Well, so you will fire them, but you buy them out at that point if they don't produce. At this point, buy them up and buy them out on terms that are, that are good for you. Yeah. In other words, if you're firing somebody because they're incompetent or they don't do something and you've built into the agreement whatever the, the, the landmarks are to in order to fire them in a good procedure, then you shouldn't be penalized as a result of that. You buy them out over a period of time, but not to, not to kill a deal. They shouldn't, they shouldn't do something wrong and you should be forced into a position because they've done something really wrong. That's not, not, that's not the way they... You should not be penalized in the event you're you're terminating for cause. If you're yeah. terminating, okay. if you have a right to terminate, not for cause, that's a different. Then you're doing it because you want to do it. But if you're terminating for cause because they didn't produce, that's a different ballgame. So you have to set some guidelines, go milestones of their how how their performance is going to be judged. A certain percentage, a certain return over a period of time. What the what the the net income is. You can, you can do that, but. That's what you have to do when you set up basically the the agreement when you put in the cash. Now, one thing at this point, you got the strongest position. You know, he would decay the he would the gold makes the rules. It's simple as that. And they need your cash, so uh, you can now put. But I, I'm not saying to do anything that's, that's that's improper. But nevertheless, you're entitled to some reasonable protections, which they will agree to. Yeah. So if you build and, in those and, protections in the agreement, then you're you're in pretty good shape. You probably will. We'll never have to use them. But if you have to use them, then because there's deficiency by the uh, uh, the present operator or owner, then so be it. That's what you have to do. So it only comes into play in the event they haven't done something they've agreed to do. Oh, that makes sense. So always assume some kind of control to the to the point that you can fire them or hold them accountable. Uh, you know, not give up all the control to to the other no, party. No, that's it. But there's a, there's a difference. Will you fire them at this point? If you're firing them for cause. Where they've done something wrong at that point, that's a, that's one one set of facts, and that's your title at that point. You're filing for cause. The, you should come out okay. In other words, they're not entitled if they're filing for because they've done something wrong. They're not entitled to to any real tremendous help or getting a lot of cash or something at that point because it's it, they triggered it. On the other hand, if you if you have the right to terminate for any reason or something or they don't produce, and you're terminating it because it's to your benefit, not that they've done something wrong, then they're entitled to a better deal. Yep. So George, I've got a question related to this, and it's a structural question. In this scenario that Dave is describing, if his partner is also a co-signer on the bank debt, and yep. therefore, if you fire that individual, there's potentially a structural change that could trigger the due on sale clause on that loan. Doesn't it create almost like... What do you mean a due on sale clause? If that guy goes out? Correct. Yeah. If, if there's a structural change. You didn't sell. You didn't, you didn't, yeah, but you, you, what, the structural change within the partnership? That's not, that's unusual. Oh, I see it in most loan agreements that if, if the, if the ownership structure changes, that's almost equivalent to a sale. Well, I, I don't know where they, where you came from. I haven't seen that too, that too often at that point. I don't know why you'd agree to it. In other words, you didn't really change the structure. If one of the part, what happens if one of the partners dies? Does that, does that terminate the, the loan? It, not if they're a limited partner, but if they're a general partner, then that might do that. So I guess in the, again, in this particular instance, what you're almost saying is that Dave should at least be considered a general partner alongside the other partner as a general partner. Correct. Correct. He's a general partner alongside the other partner. If both general partners are gone, then they could go call alone, but not one. Sure. Yeah, and, and that is the case. You know, we're, we're always considered a general partner. And typically there's something in, you know, in our agreement, like, you know, if such and such happens or, if, if they don't perform or something like that, yeah. you know, I have the right to fire them and, and, you know, we can move on to another management team. So, you know, we try to put as much good. protection there as, as we can. That's good. That's what you need. That's fine. That's exactly what you need. And as long as, as long as there is a reasonable degree of notice on which yeah. they have an opportunity to cure whatever the default is, you give them a reasonable notice, tell them, and do, do, send them a writing or you, you basically paper whatever your complaint is, then you got a better, then you're more successful if you have to enforce that agreement because you you didn't just summarily throw them out. You basically gave more kinds of notice and they didn't perform. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. That's great. What's next?
There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George, just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club. It's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. Okay, so next, George, in a growing portfolio, and certainly in our case, we have multiple entities that are created with each individual real estate project. And the question is, how do we decide when to hire a person within the parent organization versus hiring them within that project-specific entity? So, for example, because really all of the revenue is coming from those project-specific entities. The, the, the parent mm-hmm. company doesn't derive a lot of revenue directly. So we often have situations where we have a single resource where their contribution is going to be spread across several projects. How would you recommend that we fund that position? Should we have cross-contracts between the parent organization and the LEAF organization? Or, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, you could have a, it depends on what, the, what, the, what basically the function is, but they should not be in the parent. I don't see any reason to put them in the parent if they're furnishing a specific product for, for the individual entity. But certainly put them in, in, in the individual entity, and that's how basically they get remunerated and make sure that, that they're qualified for whatever the position you're looking for, put them in the entity. If they're there for, for, uh, for management or, or there for, for operation, or then that, that's the key. You know, is that I wouldn't spread them out. And the only one person you put in the entity is somebody who's going to handle all of the, has a, a particular expertise that you need to cover the, the broad spectrum of everything that's in the, in, in the parent. Right. So for so example, really I keep it in the subsidiary, not in the parent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. So we, for example, not to overuse the Trump organization as an example, but if we were to look at them, would you say that the, the, the core Trump organization is quite small and that most of the employees are in fact hired by the individual projects? No. Uh, the, yeah, they are hired by the individual projects, but, but they're, the overall is the parent. In other words, they're, 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 each of the individual projects has its own payroll and its own group and probably somebody on the head of it that makes the ultimate decision. And that person would be a, re- responsible to the to the organization. Each of the people are responsible to, to the whatever entity they work for. So each of the golf courses has its own facility, its own golf course, its own managers, and its own payroll and budget. It's all overseed basically by the CFO. In other words, right, he figures right. out each one, the budget for each of the entities, and they do that on an on an annual basis, and then he checks it out to see how they're doing as against the against the the budget on a monthly basis or or a quarterly basis. So the individual employees work for the entity, not the parent. Okay, so it's it's almost like a siloed set of P and Ls with yes. you, know, like you would have in a in a General Electric or any other. Correct. Okay. Absolutely right. So you, you have a parent and you have the subsidiaries, but the subsidiaries are, are, are self-contained and they have their own guideposts. The, the same thing is, one of the things is that if the subsidiary is overperforming, they're entitled to get more compensation, even if the parent is not overperforming. If they're doing a good job in what they're doing and they're proceeding and they got, you've got better bonefits, they can expect to get the more money. Right? They're not tied to the parent. Now the same, the opposite also applies. If the parent is doing great and they're not, they're not entitled to the, the extra compensation. And what about when you need one side of the business to subsidize another one because it's not performing at least on a temporary basis? Well, that's 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 the parent. That's a management call. The parent has to decide what they want to do with the individual business that's not performing. They they say oh, we want to sell it, we want to keep it, or what have you. But that's that. That always goes on when uh, any any parent company at this point has a problem with a subsidiary. They can either sell a subsidiary, or at that point they can they can just wipe you know terminate the subsidiary, go uh, go out of business as far as the subsidiary is concerned, without without affecting the parent. So that's it's separate and distinct. The parent should basically have not basically will have control over the subsidiary, but the subsidiary has to perform, and its performance will judge what the parent does with it. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. It's easy yeah. when you describe it in, in the context of a larger company and then to take that back and apply it. Let's say, you know, if we have a port, any, any individual investor has a portfolio and, you know, this entity over here is a 20 unit building and that other entity is a 40 unit building and 
This other one's a sixplex. Get mm-hmm. those to perform on their on a standalone basis. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's not a standalone basis. You probably can't mix them up because six family in one location can do very well, and the six family in another location do poorly. So it's not judging them all together. You have to do each one on a separate basis so that it can be tested, it can be guided and on its performance in, in its particular location or its marketplace. And that's that's either on the upside or the downside. If they're not performing as well, they get penalized. If they are performing otherwise, they're entitled to get benefits. But it's not generally what's going on with the parent. It's just going. It really is specific to the subsidiary how that's performing as to the function they are basically supposed to be performing. That makes sense. You know, it's interesting. John Brock, who I think you know, John Brock and I owned a bunch of buildings on the same block in Chicago. We owned four buildings. They're each within their own separate entity. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, the tenant base was the same and so on. But try as we might, we could not get those four buildings to perform identically. And one of them consistently overperformed, and it wasn't the one we expected. And we had another one that consistently underperformed, and that wasn't the mm-hmm. one we expected either. And yeah. it was, true. yeah. That's true. That's what. That's real estate. That's all. You know, it's, it's each each piece is separate and distinct, and will operate separate and distinct. And even though this, they could be side by side, either they're not, they're not the same, and they don't operate the same way. So, but that's the nature of the business. Indeed. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George, just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club, it's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. Okay, next uh, we have a question from Vincenzo. Vincenzo, unmute you here. Okay. Vincenzo, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Perfect. Okay, what's up? Hi, George. Hi. How you doing? Don't do great. What's with you? What can we do for you? You know, just, in, just enjoying the beautiful weather out here in Edmonton, Alberta. It's just nice and snowy. <laughs> so what... <laughs> What can we do here? So the industry standard Wall Street model for investment funds is a small measurement fee of 2% and a 20% carried interest for the general partner. When dealing with passive investors who have experience with that model, how do we justify different structure like a 70-30 or a 50-50? Well, I think that's a very good question. But uh, basically, this is, this, uh, the fact that you're talking industry standard model, that's bullshit. It I agree exist. <laughs> that's all you know that can say that, that that that's that's the terms that, that a negotiator uses when he doesn't want to negotiate and he says yeah. this is the industry standard uh, this is what's done in the industry and therefore you have to so it's six percent but that no that's open for negotiation so that's that that just get away from that that kind of concept of being a, being a model and that the where the the management gets only two percent and they said and the twenty percent carried interest to the general partner. No, it depends on the transaction. It depends on the real estate. What's involved? There's no no reason you can't pay more. You can't do more. Forget this but this, this uh, building standards. That doesn't apply. In other words, it's it's a concept, but it's 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 a good concept for anybody who wants to take advantage of the concept. That's all it is. In other words, you say yeah, yeah this it's just is a tool. Building. Yeah, I mean, you, you take brokers' commissions at that point. The, the broker gets a commission like a six percent. That's standard in the industry. You, you want to know how many commissions? I negotiated down to four percent, three percent, four and a half. Depends on the transaction. It depends on the function of the, of the particular the, of party, whatever they're doing. So don't be afraid to negotiate. Now you get. I agree. The, the, I I think to me the twenty percent is very low. The fifty fifty doesn't that doesn't work. I think that's too high. But I, nevertheless. Twenty percent. Also, at that point, you can have that the the percentage ought to increase depending upon how successful the project is. So, if somebody's adding big value to the project and management or what have you, then maybe the percentage ought to go up. They can build in a, into the agreement of some formula for that. In other words, what what how, how much does the the passive investor get? So, George, what's your preference in, when it comes to something like that? Do you prefer to use do you prefer to play with percentages or implement things like a waterfall model that says, you know, the investor gets their capital back, then I get a developer fee, then we split the percentage, you know, on, on a percentage basis? Like, of course, anything's possible, but at a certain point, it becomes difficult to understand and to wrap your mind around. How do you approach this yeah. typically? 
No, my feeling would be that the percentage ought to change based upon the 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 success of the of the the income portion to the passive investor. So you can build in certain numbers, uh, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, whatever it is. You can build in some some percentage of return, and if it gets beyond that percentage of return, they shouldn't get more. So it should go down. In other words, you can say, you can build certain milestones. You say, well, for the first hundred thousand, you get ten percent. For the next hundred thousand, you get eight percent. For the next hundred thousand, you get six percent. So that you scale it down and and effectively. But meanwhile, they've got a lot. In other words, they could shouldn't complain because they're getting a lot of a lot and they're only losing it because they got more than they anticipated so that's what i would suggest the other way the other way you can do it but it becomes much more of a negotiation and i don't know whether the results are good or bad the more you try to structure it on a particular phase of the transaction that becomes harder but again depends on your deal some deals work that work work to get to get work on a percentage increase, others work on a buyout. That's uh, that's my suggestion. Can't give you a definitive answer because we're, it depends on the nature of the project. Of course, that's wonderful. Okay, well, very good. So next question. Awesome, awesome. Uh, thanks, George. Go ahead, what's next? So next, George, I'd like to spend a little time exploring the concept of hidden assets. And you know, there's an, maybe a few examples of what I'm talking about here might be perhaps a cross collateral or perhaps a zoning entitlement, which enables you to you know, increase the value of a project. It's not readily visible to the naked eye. Do you have some other examples of hidden assets that were brought to bear from either some of your own past projects or maybe from, from projects within the Trump organization? Well, yeah, but the, the, the answer is, yeah, but they're not, the, the fact that they're, they're hidden assets, you, they're something which came up which would come up at a later point in time, which was not readily apparent at the time the project went forward. So it could be some type of an easement that you either have or have to give some benefits or rights that you can now give up by restrict by a restrictive covenant that you won't do something that that the other side really wants you not to do. But you can't draw. It doesn't happen that often. And there, it's it's unusual because it is just to, it basically is tailored to the particular transaction. It doesn't happen too often, but this go up cross collateralization is certainly one. And any change in the project or the the property or the enti- or the area that you're dealing with or the city at that point, yeah, that's a hidden asset. But it, it's it wasn't there when it when you started out, but it turned out later on over a period of time. Yes, it was there. Certainly, if the if uh, one of the hidden assets that could be now, especially in the United States, is the tax structure that you can have now that they didn't have before. So you, that's going to affect your return if you're going to pay less taxes, and or you may have benefits that you can get depreciation write-offs in, in a shorter period of time. So these were were not there, but they're certainly a hidden asset which would in, enhance the value of the property, the value of the project. That's actually a very good one. Is using depreciation or cost segregation. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's doing that. And also at that point, there is there is the the uh, the change basically also the depreciation rules I think have changed. In other words, the amount of time that you can write off something, a piece of equipment, is now I think shorter than it used to be in in many areas, depending upon what is what what the the what you're writing off. Used to be you have to write a building off over a period of years, thirty, forty years, or what have you. But and machinery at a different time. But now I think that you can one of the things you take out is you can take advantage of the fact that some of the uh, some of the work that you're putting into a particular project could be written off in a shorter period of time depending upon the nature of the work because they they want you to do it they want you to put it in and improve because you get more you'll make more profit as a result but they give you the benefit of that that you can write it off sooner so instead of having to write it off over a period of 10 years, maybe five years, two years, or three years, and also breaking it up. In other words, it's not only all machinery. It could be some machinery. It could be one one building as against another building. They all will have to be the same. But that's something that you have to look at in particular. But it is certainly something to, to take into consideration and was not available before there was a major change in the, in the tax law. That that's yeah, that's very good. That, that's an accounting question, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tax kind of, tax question counts. But it's it's uh, there there are major advantages because they have uh, the, the government basically wants to spur 
putting money in building building your building your plan, building your project, expanding what you do, and give you some benefits if you do it, so that you're not penalized uh, terribly by putting money into the organization. As a matter of fact, you, 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 they give you inducements to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of how you might use the granting of an easement to create a hidden asset? Well, the granting of an easement depends on it depends on where you are in in location where the particular piece of property is. But in the event that you have a that say that you you, you have a, a piece of property and the the adjacent owner and the adjacent owner turns it has the the other piece of property and he needs some kind of he needs additional parking. He needs additional parking to comply with zoning or to make his property better. So you give him a, the easement to create the uh, the 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 parking. So it could be a perpetual easement, it could be on, a, on an annual basis, and at least it could be lots of ways of doing it. But uh, certainly, that's a any time that you give somebody the right to use your property for their advantage, that's that could be helpful. And that doesn't have to be perpetual; it could be over a period of years, but it could be perpetual too. But it could definitely enhance the value of the property. Or one of the things you could could do on occasion is suppose they have a a side restriction that they can't be more than a building can't be more than 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 ten feet from the, or twenty feet from the property line, uh, be, and then you give them the right at that point to move the property line so, so that they can extend their building where they didn't have it before. There are lots of ways, but that, that, that these are unusual, not you know they're not everyday situations. No, I think this conversation is is fantastic. I, I'm I'm definitely going to go back and listen to the recording probably three or four times and and. I think there probably will be situations where something in this conversation will will spur some creative juices to make something available that wasn't before. Sure, good. That's what we that's what we're here for. That's wonderful. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George, just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club, it's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. Okay, so next, George, I've got a partner who had a misstep in a project, and it, he seems more or less destined to result in some, some form of loss. And he feels, and mm-hmm. I agree with him, that the solution for him needs to be to put the foot on the gas and start a new project as a way of working his way out of it. He's mm-hmm. not going to fix it by putting his foot on the, on, on the brakes. Now, as real estate entrepreneurs, we really have the ability to generate income at will. You know, by conceiving of new projects, they can bring additional income. Now, from from your experience, when someone's in that situation, and we of course know, you know, the story of Forty Wall Street, but is it better to try and concentrate on a single home run project to work your way out of a problem, or better to take the slow and steady approach and rebuild using smaller, simpler, more routine projects that have a proven formula? Well, they can't. They, 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 you know, the the solution based to the the problem really depends on the nature of the problem. What is? But the first the first thing is is to whoever is involved at that point go to your partners or they'll uh, explain to them what happened. So you tell them, look, this is it. That, that, that they will understand it if you have this is what happened. I thought it was going to be good. It's not good. It didn't turn out. This I, I planned on this or this changed or what have you. But you level level with them and you. You say now I'm going to make it up to you by doing a better deal, doing other deals. The nature of how you make it up really depends on, on on what's what's available on your plate. I would not go for the home run, but if it's there, go for the home run. You give them a piece of the home run if it works, or if it's just bits and pieces, you give it give them back the bits and pieces. But you say good. Meanwhile, I'm going to make good, or I'm going to ameliorate the loss which was suffered, which. Not that it just happened. It was I did everything I could, but it didn't work out. The main thing is, is communication. If you tell your partners, they communicate with them, they'll, they'll understand. Right. When you try to keep it quiet, that's the problem. Would you see potentially granting an option on some of these other projects that are down the road? That way, the 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 aggrieved party at least has the possibility of getting something back, but they're not sure. necessarily tied in and obligated to it. That's a possibility. Give them, give them, give them an option to an option to participate or not to participate. Sure, whatever it is, it, it, it's it's really a uh, it's, it's giving giving them the feeling of your that, that you're concerned for for them and for the loss and you want to do something to make it up. But you it, 
how you do it exactly, you can't pin it down because you don't know. But nevertheless, they feel they're, you're doing something to to make it better. But the, the fact is a misstep. Hey, this happens. So, you know, don't, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. That happens over a period of time. So, uh, you know, and you just but the main thing is communication and say, look, we're bad, but I'm going to do it. I mean, I, probably one of the best examples was uh, the building in Chicago that, that uh, was built by Trump. It was uh, the, the condos were basically 100 percent. They were everybody. The, oh, we were all sold before the building was even erected. Everybody put up 20 percent deposits. And then when the market changed uh, and the building was complete, they walked from the, the agreement. They didn't never be able to put up the 80 percent. Then I had to go back and speak to the, the lender that you had and say, look, I'm not going to get the prices that they're anticipated because the market is not there. You know, they, may, they don't like it, but that's the fact. So you say, okay, what do we do now? And you do the best that you, the best that you can for a bad situation. That's similar to what you, what you got what you got in in any situation. When it's bad uh, because of circumstances that you were not within the control of your party, then you go back and you say, look, this is this is it. This, this is the, the fact of life. But nevertheless, we'll we'll work something out. Now, if I remember correctly, in the end, that project turned out just fine. We were able you able to ride that out. No, no. Yeah, yeah, that is, but never turned out just fine. I mean, okay. it never turned, never, never reached its original uh, glamour or, or what right. was there because, but never, but yeah, this is, the answer was yes. That worked, worked out. They, we took a longer period of time, and they, you got some benefit from the the, the the lender at that point. Said, I can't, you can't make these payments, and they, they just had a ride with it. But it's a long ways, you know. It's these bad things happen, but that's not it's not. T- Terrible, you know. This is not litigation. This is just somebody's unhappy because they got a bad situation. But people will have. If you explain it to them, they only have a, an understanding and say, "Okay, at least yeah, I'm getting a fair shake." That's wonderful. Thank you. Okay. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George. Just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentory Club. It's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. Okay, so next uh, next question is a, is about negotiation. And this is one that is actually in our specific business, but I think it's one that probably most people on the call can relate to. And it, it's a negotiation question. We have a specific case where we have a broker who earned his full 6% commission. He double-ended the deal on the purchase of two properties. And in the case of the first property, he assisted with consulting and getting our zoning approval prior to closing. So we got we went into the transaction already with the zoning approval. Mm-hmm. In the case of the second property, he's asking for additional compensation in exchange for his consulting services, even though he already made 120 grand in commission on that property. So he's made almost a quarter million dollars off of us this year alone. And he's now, you know, he sold us that property with the understanding that we were buying it for that specific purpose. So it's not, it's not a surprise that we're so going to be buying for what specific purpose in this what, particular what specific case, purpose? it's uh, for the medical office building that we've been talking yeah. about. Uh huh. So now he's asking for additional compensation. Now he's, Enormously. What did he do? What 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 consulting services is he, is he performing on the second property? He he's actually going to go around and lobby each of the individual city council members. He used to be a state representative, so mm-hmm. he's extraordinarily well connected. He's going yeah. to go around, talk to each of the individual city councilors, make sure they're on board. He'll actually present the project in front of the zoning board and at city council if it goes in in front of council. Mm-hmm. He's extraordinarily influential. He's very good, you know. So I have no issue with him doing the work. I mean, he's just—he's the perfect person. The part that's giving me heartache is the fact that he's coming now after the fact and saying, "What are you going to pay me to do this work?" Yeah. And I certainly okay. don't want to offend him. And we, well, I wouldn't offend him at that point. I think you—I think at that point, I think he's entitled to it. I think you—if he's—if he's doing the service and he's doing political connections, at this point, he's entitled to be separately compensated. He's not. He's not doing that as a broker. He's doing it because of his his connections and helpful. Mm-hmm. So uh, I see no, you know, as, as, I see where you're coming from, but I wouldn't negotiate it. Okay, this is one of these things that you pay him. You pay him and you say thank you when he gets it to, when he do when he delivers it. So it's not, uh, you know, it, 
it's something that you can if you can negotiate it earlier, fine. But you didn't, and this you tell from what I'm I'm hearing from, from what you're telling me, he's furnishing a specific service that you that you need, right? Want it? So end of story. I never objected to people making uh, money because they perform a special service. And, and same here. And same here. And now this is an area that well, it's uncharted. Much a more. Next. Next. Well, it's this one's our, a little uncharted territory for me. So I guess the question is for for you know for someone performing engineering services and something like that, that's easy to understand. Yeah, but what, is it, well, what is it for the, how much are you, how much are you paying him for the consulting service? Well, we haven't arrived at a it's number. Like a that's what I that's what I don't Big know. Pardon? We haven't well, arri- We haven't even proposed. Well, arrive at a number. Okay, that's all. No, I wouldn't do an open end for, by any means. But now he's now he's not operating. He's not as a broker. He's operating now as a as a, re- a representative, a local representative in the political arena, or what have you. Yes, he's entitled to something for that. But and then at the time when you negotiate how much you're going to pay, you can come back and say, hey, you know what? You made it. I didn't negotiate with you when you took a six percent fee. At that, a lot of brokers taking less percent, so I paid you more there, so you shouldn't hit me so hard on this one. So I would negotiate going forward that you're entitled to some kind of a discount because of what you didn't do in the past. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Okay. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George, just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club. It's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. Next, we've talked about philanthropy quite a bit over the years, George, and I know you sit on the board of a couple of different foundations, mm-hmm. and there's a number of different models for helping a good cause. You know, one is to raise the money directly and do the heavy lifting to help that end project. Another way is simply to raise money for an existing foundation. Or third, to raise money within your create a, a, a separate foundation whose sole purpose is to support an, another existing foundation. Do you have any thoughts on the merits of the different approaches? And in particular, there's a particular cause that, uh, that I'm passionate about. And, and this is the idea that there are millions, I mean, literally millions of people in the world today who are blind for, for whom that can be corrected for like 125 bucks. And mm-hmm. There's an organization out of the UK called Sight Savers. There's a fledgling yeah. version of that in the in the US. There isn't one in Canada yet. I'd like to do something to help them. Any thoughts on how to how to structure this? Structure it is when you get to philanthropy, that becomes very difficult, especially in the United States. I don't know whether it's the same in Canada, but in in the United States, if you want to be if you want to be you want to set up a foundation of philanthropy that's going to help individuals specifically or specific it's going it can give money to all kinds of people that need it but not a an organized charity it's a, it's it, the restrictions are monumental you know, any money that you put into that at that point you have to explain where it went so if you gave uh, scholarships or what I, you have to prove the person needs it's very cumbersome so generally speaking i mean i didn't even go for it i saw how what the restrictions were and, and what you had to do to do it. I said, no. So basically, however, uh, I said, no, but you can give to, if you set up your, your foundation or a charitable organization, you can give money to another charitable organization that has the benefit of the, the taxes and, and has the benefit of it. Can, it's been set up to give money to wherever it wants. So if there is another entity that would give money to these blind to, to, to fund for uh, an operation or what have you for blind people, and that is a recognized charity, then you can certainly give money to that charity. So you set up your own foundation, you give money to that charity, and it's a, it's a deduction that's perfectly legitimate. And whatever it is, you, you, you get benefits. When you put money into a foundation, you get a you get a benefit that that's to do from off the taxes, at least in the United States. I don't know what it is in Canada, but you, you do here. So each year at that point, I put a certain amount of money into a foundation, into my foundation, and I get a benefit off my taxes at this point so that you're entitled to do that. But it's limited based on your income. In other words, you can't take a, you can't a take certain a loss. percentage of your income. No. Right. no, it's a certain percentage of the income. But then the monies in my in my foundation, I can give to any recognized charity. 
I think it's a 503C or something like that. So it's a, so I don't have to worry about that as long as they are a recognized charity and they can do anything they want. You know, there's a recognized charity they can help blind people or kids or anything. They don't. They they have to live by the rules and explain what they did with the money. But the person that's giving it, giving money to them, does not have to do that. Right. Right. But you you saw advantage by creating your own foundation. Yes. Yes, but understand if you're going to go to create, if you're going to go do, go do the other route, what you say, the the paperwork is monumental, and the organizational capacities are monumental. You know, it's not easy by any means to to set it up, and you have to indicate what you you have to keep good records as to where you sent it to and what it is, and and that you performed the, this particular service. Not and they they would have to agree that that's a a, a charitable cause. And you can't give money to your brother-in-law, for example. Right. But there are plenty of uh, of uh, companies or lawyers at that point that, that specialize in this or, or whatever it is. I would certainly or tax tax counsel, uh, the tax attorney, and tell them what you have in mind, and uh, they'll come up with what they think the solution ought to be. Okay. Very good. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George. Just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating. Hey, hey, Syndication Mentoring Club. It's time for another edition of the monthly George Ross Mastermind. The next question, this is from a conversation that I was having with Sia earlier today. Sia, you're on the line. I was going to suggest we talk with George about sales comp structure and, and your dilemma where you've got an overpaid salesperson. I'm here right now. Can... Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, so I had a train of thought earlier in my business career where if you take good care of people, they'll take care of you. And what I find with my salespeople is like they're making too much money. Not in the sense that my cost of sale is high, like 6%, 4% or so, but it's like they have too much. So now they're not hungry anymore. And we're in a position right now where we're confident that we can provide a great opportunity for salespeople, but we don't have the systems and processes in place to manage all the construction that comes down the pipeline. So we have one sales rep that has a lot of power, making too much money, and we're in a position where do we bring on a third guy? Do we hustle and put systems and infrastructure in place? Just thoughts on running a sales org. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> you're handling a very ticklish problem. But anytime you want to reduce somebody's salary or some of their income at that point, that's a particular problem. Because what will happen at that point, if they're if they're really that good, they could leave, and if they if they can get a better job, they will take it. However, having said that, if somehow you can try can tie their compensation, not only to the sales but to the the performance of the of your overall company, on the plus side or the minus side, then that could work. So if the if as a company you go down, then their their income goes down. If the company you go up, their income goes up. But the problem is with the sales at this way where it's a fixed number it's to get away from that is, is difficult, but you know, you can do it. You can you just raise prices, right? You have to understand you're going to create a animosity because this is yeah. what I always had. So anytime, yeah. I mean, you know, in the, uh, when, when things went bad and then every came across, there was a 10% reduction across the board. Nobody liked it, but that's what it was. As long as you don't, it's, you don't basically, go against one particular person. If you go yeah, no, that makes against the sales, against everybody, it, it's more palatable because they don't feel that they were singled out. So if you don't go one person say, you're making too much, but Joe is not. Exactly. It's got to be fair. So you just raise prices across the board and then you adjust the yeah. compensation based on the gross property delivered to the org or the price they bring in sure. against the MSRP. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. I understand you're going to create a problem, but it's easier for everybody to swallow if they know every it, it, everybody's in the same boat. It's when you it's when it's, you single somebody out that you got a problem. Makes sense. Thank you. Okay, that's a good question. Well, George, that's yeah, all the question. Money. I, I never thought. Sorry, go, keep going, Sam. Go ahead. No, I just like it, it blows my mind. Like the whole idea of a financial thermostat. Like you're like, man, work hard and make more money. And yeah. they're like, nah, you know what? I'm okay. <laughs> I'm like, what, what do you mean you're okay? Like hustle. It blew my mind as a concept. Yeah, but I would also at this point, when you when you're talking to the particular person that you have that's overpaid, try to do it in a humanitarian way. 
In other words, Joe, I know that this is what having it's not easy, but but understand the business has more problems than we had before. I got this, and the and I need your help, and uh, therefore you, you know you're gonna I've got to reduce your salary. If you, I don't say that'll work, but it's a lot better than just going on and saying, hey, this is what happens. You're getting 10% less this year. Well, as I understand it, George, the issue isn't the money. The issue is that he's making so much money that he's gotten comfortable and isn't hungry anymore. So question is, when if you're not using yeah, money as a motivator. Yeah, but you can't live their lifestyle. No, that's it. They can't. No, that, you're in the wrong crack. Don't live anybody else's lifestyle. Right. That's all. No, do whatever it is at that point. He's not hungry anymore. That's fine. It's good. But you have to be careful with this, that, that, you know, if, if you're saying he's not hungry anymore, he may just up and leave. And you, if you look at that and say, well, am I worse off if I'm, if I, am I in a better position if I keep him, even though I'm not happy with the salary or he leaves? That's a decision which you have to make and carefully weigh. Well, in your experience, have you, what kind of non-monetary things have you used to motivate employees when they're actually making too much money? Yeah, give them a vacation. Give them a vacation. At that point, say at this point, fine. Let's take away you can pay a little bit less, but if you produce it, you produce what you're producing, they'll give you a week's vacation somewhere, which we'll pay for. And basically, they don't, so that's not income to them, or they don't declare it as income to them. And it is income to them, but they won't declare it. But nevertheless, it this is say, well, hey, I, I got to, I can do something I wouldn't ordinarily do. I can go somewhere or what have you. And uh, it's the same way. A lot of companies they give some type of a premium to a producer, to a, a, a salesman. So if you sell a certain amount of TVs at that point, we get a trip to trip around to a trip to one of the places, or we, we give it something of, of value, but not more in not more money. There must be something that they would want that they, that they ordinarily wouldn't spend the money on. And you're saying good, I'm thinking, good that we will. I'm thinking he needs a competitor. Like he needs another guy just to wake him up a little bit. You know what I mean? Just bring in a third guy well, it's, who it, closes it, more it, at it, higher it, prices. Yeah, yeah. It's all there at that point. But you you got the, the problems over. You, he's a fat cat. <laughs> and as a result, you, you did it. So, uh, you know, you, you, created the, you created your own monster. <laughs> And it's hard, it's hard to get it back. Uh, he's doing too well and making a lot of money. But so are you. If he's yeah, he's sold a lot. He's doing good. He's a great sales guy. Yeah, he's a great sales guy. He's a great sales guy. That's yeah. it. And it's the end of the story. Cool. Thank you. Okay, I think we're, we're through, aren't we, Vic? I think so. Victor? I think we are. Thank you, as always, George. Okay. Great conversation, and good. we look forward to talking okay. again next month. Great. Okay. Good night. All right. Bye for now. There's another monthly edition of the George Ross Mastermind. If you've got a question for George, just send an email to askgeorge at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you get your questions in at least two days before the next Mastermind. Successful syndicating.